Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Today's interview is with Meryl Arnett. Meryl is a mama meditation teacher, the creator of the Mindful Minute podcast, and the head of meditation for Shoreline Meditation app. Her passion is introducing mindfulness in ways that are accessible to all of us. Meryl's meditation classes have been featured on CNN Headline News, WXIA-TV, and Atlanta Magazine and her podcast has been named a top 10 meditation podcast. She has been teaching corporate, private, and group meditation classes. Meryl continues to study, practice, and find great inspiration from her teachers, Tracy Stanley and Shanti Takaranta Perez. She delights in combining the magical and the mundane using nature, art, literature, and dream interpretation, alongside the endless laundry, dishes, and bills of real life to inspire and inform her teaching. Her classes are a mashup of creative inspirations, ancient teachings, and her own experiences on the meditation cushion. You'll often hear Meryl reference her favorite podcast alongside countless books, poems, and works of art. Her goal as a teacher is to use meditation practices to infuse our real everyday lives with the magic of an awakened heart. Off the cushion, Meryl is the mom to two amazing children, Asa and Maple, partners with her high school crush and the oldest of four kids. She graduated from the University of Georgia's Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communications, and there's nothing she loves more than spending time in the mountains with her family camping, hiking, and marshmallow roasting. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome, Meryl. It's nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Thank you for saying yes to being on the Finding Refuge podcast. I'm glad you're here. Michelle, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me and taking the time to chat. Yeah. I'd love for you to share some about who you are and what you do in the world. Yeah. So I am a mom and a meditation practitioner and teacher and a nature lover. And In the world, I spend most of my time talking about, teaching about, and thinking about meditation and all of its beauties and the ways that it helps us move through our days with a little bit more ease. Can you share some about your path to meditation? Like how you, and and in particular, meditation in nature, like how that unfolded? Yeah. So it's two, I think, good stories, actually. My path to meditation initially happened because I took a yoga class and loved it and immediately started working my way down the path to become a yoga teacher. And in my first yoga teacher training, I sort of loosely understood that the end goal of yoga was meditation. And yet we never meditated or talked about meditation in that initial training. And then I was a teacher and I was teaching classes and students were asking me about meditation and I didn't practice it and I didn't have any wisdom. And I thought, I need to figure this out. 
So I signed up for a meditation training. It was a five-day training, and it was in a tantric lineage, um, which was similar to the yoga path I was following. And I did this five-day training. And at the end of the five days, I walked out and I thought, I have no idea how to meditate. I just, the whole time I'm sitting there freaking out that I'm doing it wrong, that I'm thinking too much, that I'm not understanding what I'm, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. And that was just enough of a prompt for me to be like, I am going to figure this out in my type A sort of way. And so I tried, you know, countless teachers and I went to retreats and different eight week courses. And I read all the books and somewhere along the way, I took a class with Tara Brock, who was the first person to talk about meditation in a way that made sense to my brain. And it was with her that I finally understood that what I was experiencing meditation was correct, that I was meditating And it allowed me, it sort of opened that door for me to really not only experience meditation, but enjoy it. And so then I sort of set out to share, to teach that in a way that makes sense to my brain and hopes that it makes sense to other people who have tried and felt like, I think I'm failing. I think I'm struggling. I I can't do it. I think too much. And so that was probably, I'm going to guess but at least four years of a journey there until I finally landed in a place where I really felt like I was living a practice of meditation. And shortly after that, I met my current teacher, Tracy Stanley, who interestingly is in a tantric lineage. So I sort of made this full circle back into a tantric practice. And at some point in our relationship, Tracy offered a practice that was based on the elements, earth, air, wind, fire, and the teaching that's in many ancient texts that the elements, the world that exists around us also exist inside of us, which I read and understood on a superficial level, like in my brain, that makes sense. And she said, go do this practice for seven days or 21 days, whatever it was. And we had to meditate on each of the elements inside our bodies. And so I'm doing this practice. And out of sheer coincidence, one day I decided to sit out in my backyard and do the practice. And it was really windy that day. And I'm doing the practice and the wind is blowing and I get to the element of air. And I had this unbelievably tangible experience of wind inside my body. And suddenly something that I knew through pages of books and I knew through the words of other teachers was viscerally real for me in my own experience. And so then I did the next natural thing. The next day I went and sat by water and then I sat in front of a fire, right? I worked with each of these elements, cultivating that experience more deeply in my body. And since that point, that's really been the path I've been on is spending awake, aware time in nature as a tool for healing and happiness, honestly. Thank you for sharing about your, your pathway and the experience of learning about meditation, talking about meditation, but then having this experience with Tara Brock, where you realized, oh, this is meditation. And this is what I have been doing. And with Tracy around the 
elements. And I'm curious to know, you just mentioned this meditation as a tool for healing. And I know in my own life, when I've been in periods of deep grief or loss, that nature is kind of the only place that makes sense to me because I can see the cycles in nature, the natural cycles. And, um, it's just expansive in a way that, you know, grief is, can feel limiting and sort of narrow perspective. And I'm curious to know what insights have come through to you as you've worked with these elements, as you've sat in front of the fire, sat by water or felt the wind, um, or felt yourself planted on the earth. Yeah, you know, I love that you used the word expansive because that too has been my experience that when I spend time out in nature, I find that it takes these very small, limited experiences that I have in my life that feel all consuming and entirely encompassing of life as a whole until I step outside. And I'll share a story um, because it's didn't happen that long ago, but I live near uh, a creek, like a wooded trail in a creek. And it's been here for a very long time. The land that I live on is originally Muskegee land. And the creek, Nickajack, is named after one of these tribes. And I walk along this creek many days, and there's a rock that sort of overhangs a part of the creek, and I sit on it often to do my practice. And just past that creek is a little marker that designates an area that back in the 1800s, there was mills there, and there was one of the first settlements for Eastern European Jews in the South was right there. And those are my ancestors. And so I'm sitting on this rock and I'm all consumed by whatever the drama and heartache of the day is. And some how the thought comes into my mind. I know I'm not the only person that has sat on this rock. Like this rock is made for sitting upon just the way it's positioned, its location, its size. It's made for sitting on. And I'm not the only one that has sat here. And as I think this, I think about ancestors that I didn't know. And I think about ancestors of place that I don't know that sat on this rock And that very likely, although their worries were not identical, likely followed the same vein, right? We're worried about our children's health and safety. We're worried about our own well-being and that of our communities and all of the little things that make up the worries of our days. And something very, very real shifted in that moment when I realized that these worries aren't mine to carry alone. And that when I sit in nature, whether it's on a beautiful creek or if it's in my backyard, I remember that I'm not alone. That's basically what happens for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful and beautiful. Your experience and description of, of realizing people connected to me, ancestors have sat in this place before. And what you named about the worries, perhaps not having been identical to the worries or whatever you may have experienced during the day or at that time in your life, but that you're, you're not isolated is really what I hear in in what you described, right? Like that you're not alone and nature. So, I mean, it's just such a good reminder of that in so many ways. It really is, you know, and I mean, there's so many metaphors you can work off of in nature, Mm -hmm. but the truth is, 
like science is showing us that nature is healing and we don't actually even know why necessarily the science doesn't say you have to do this thing to be healed by nature. What the science says is if you sit outside, you recover faster. Your nervous system goes back to baseline faster than if you don't. So there's something that's inherently connective, I think, about being in the natural world, like being with trees, being with soil, being with water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, given the time we are in as a collective and have been in for a good while, but in particular over the last 20 months, if your practice has shifted, I'm just thinking about what you said about ancestors and worries and the thing about the moment we're in and um, how many of us have not had an experience like this before and isolation. And so I'm curious to know if your practice has shifted. My practice has shifted in a couple of ways, actually, during the pandemic, in the very early parts of the pandemic, the first shift was I went from meditating once a day to meditating really, truly a minimum of three times a day. Like I truly felt such a level of activation in my own nervous system, in my own body. And I felt how much I was trying to manage. I have young children, my young children's experiences, and I have parents in the same town as me. I was, I, I felt like I was holding a lot as I know most of us are and did. And so I started practicing a lot in short 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here doing the same thing. And it was very often not the walk in the woods, but like, can I just step out on my back deck? And then as we learned a little bit more and we knew being outside was a good thing. Mm -hmm. right? Vitamin D was good for us. And we were not likely to contract um, the virus outside. Then I started going back into the woods and doing my hike and sitting. And the other piece that again became, I think maybe to the forefront, even more than normal was ancestral work in all honesty, because again, it was that reminder that while not, not in memory, at least did my ancestors live through a pandemic, they did live through really hard times as did our ancestors, right? Like each generation has lived through its struggles and connecting to that thread of somebody somewhere survived because I'm here, because you're here. And can I breathe with that and be with that and stay present to that in these moments where I feel unbearable fear or loneliness or insecurities? Mm -hmm. I've thought about this a lot as well around ancestors. And early on in the pandemic, I had this experience of, I was walking my dog Jasper in my neighborhood. And I had this experience of being like, oh, my grandmother lived through a time like this. Right. And it sort of made me realize my grandmother's inside me, right. Her mm. heartbeat is part of my heartbeat. And I'm here because of her, right. Exactly what you, what you named. And it, it reminded me of resilience in so many ways. And also what you named, I interviewed my uh, partner's child. She's, she was nine at the time. And she said this, she's, I was like, what are you going to say in the future? Like, what do you want people to know? I can't remember the exact question. And she said, 
I know there's going to be a time where we'll say, remember when that time was hard for everyone? And I was mm. like, oh, she's nine years old, like thinking about herself in the future saying, remember that time when we all went through this, this thing that disrupted everything. And it just, what, what she said struck me and it felt connected to what you named as well. And I'm curious to know about um, your ancestral practices, since you've mentioned ancestors a couple of times, like how do you connect with your ancestors and that, that memory of, of their resilience, if that's what it feels like, um, their survival, that's what it feels like for you. Yeah. My work with ancestors really began because they started showing up in dreams for me. And it was not in necessarily the way you might imagine where like somebody comes and visits you and gives you a message. It was nothing like that. It was like in the background, I noticed somebody or in the background, I noticed a thing that reminded me of so-and-so. And as that happened, I thought, I want to pay attention to this a little bit. And I did some of the sort of logical things. Like I did my DNA and got on ancestry.com and built out my family tree. And it helped me gather some names that I didn't know. And so when I sit to practice just in my daily practice, the things that I do as a way to call myself into practice is I name and thank the ancestors of place that I stay upon. And then I name the ancestors that I know their names. And then I acknowledge those that I don't. And I just invite in any support, wisdom, messages that need to come. And then I do my practice. And mm -hmm. I let that be as it is. And sometimes I find that I feel like I have a knowing after practice. More often, I find that Later in the day, I have a memory or I ask a question or I have a dream that night. And that's where wisdom starts to show up. I'll tell you a really cool ancestor story if you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, in the middle of this work, I also, um, out of pure, just fun and joy, I love and have loved for 20 years working with animal wisdom cards, like an Oracle deck of animal medicine. And I see animals all the time in dreams and meditation. Like this is just a language that speaks to me. And so one night I have a dream as I'm in the middle of doing all my ancestor research. And I'm thinking about this. I have a dream and in the dream, I'm standing on top of a mountain and like off to the left, there are three more mountain peaks. And on the top of the first mountain is a rabbit. On the top of the second mountain is a wolf. And on the top of the third mountain is an elk. And I'm looking at these animals and the wolf makes direct eye contact with me and walks from his mountain to my mountain and then sits next to me. And I wake up and it's one of those dreams that you wake up and you remember every detail crystal clear and you know that it's a big dream. It means something. And I have the dream and I write it down and I go on my way. And within the same week, as I'm doing this research, I work my way back to my great grandmother, fifth removed, which is as far back as I can get easily. Right. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm hunting for her parents. And I find who I think her parents are. And I'm like, maybe this is right. Maybe it isn't. It's like the documents are iffy, but it could be. And I'm looking at the mother because I'm following sort of the female line. And I click over to see who the father is. And the father's name is Wolf, spelled W-O-L-F, like spelled wolf in this document from the 1700s. And I was like, got it. Thank you. Adding this to my tree. And I mm-hmm. have, so I keep where I keep calling like, thank you, Wolf. Thanks for being here. So anyway, silly story a little bit, but it holds a lot of power for me in terms of ancestral practice and that willingness to just call it in and then be open to what shows up. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's profound. And I think that only happens when we're open to things that we cannot see or know or mystery, right? That's, that's when the, the wisdom will come through in the way you described with the dream and then the synchronicity um, with your ancestor named Wolf, right? And that was a direct communication and entrance of Wolf into your world. And it, I'm not sure what it means to you in listening to you though. Clearly Wolf is, is there, right? As a, an energy and it doesn't sound like a negative energy, but a protective energy actually in the way you described and how they revealed themselves to you too, like in this dream as, as the animal um, and, and really wanted you to know who they were because then you did some, some searching, right. To find yeah. out, I think it's so deep and profound and it really is the work that even though it's complicated, that I think it's the work that many of us need to to do because I feel like we need support from other realms yeah. in particular at this time. Like we need some, some support and there's a lot of healing that needs to happen ancestrally um, and our ancestries intertwine. So all of that. Yeah. You know, I think it's so interesting as a meditation teacher, as a yoga teacher, I often feel like I should be able to just talk about this one practice as the thing, but the truth is it's so many practices woven together that at least in my own experience are the tapestry of healing. You know, it's that particular situation happened, I think, because I do meditate and I do dream work. And I do spend a lot of time in nature and I do spend time acknowledging and honoring answers. Like there were so many pieces that came together. It wasn't just go sit on a meditation cushion. That was one of the threads, but there are so many pieces that I think even in very small ways weave together to be this beautiful tapestry of the support we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you. Um, naming that because I think sometimes people, it feels daunting Mm. um, to people to engage in in a healing practice. And I think in so many ways, we may be conditioned to believe it's like this one thing that we do when in fact, it is what you said. It's these many things that we do and they're connected and that there are many ways to work with ancestors. There are many ways to meditate. There are many ways to connect to nature. There's not just one way. So I think it's really important for people to hear, hear this, that 
there are so many ways to engage in, in healing um, and what you named about this tapestry, right. Of healing. Yeah. And the prioritization of your, of your own healing too. Um, I heard that and what you said as well. Yeah. You know, I, I talk a lot about you, you can fit this in your day, you being the everybody you in the world, right. Mm-hmm. Whether we have kids, we don't, we own businesses, we're employees, we commute or we don't, we're activists, we're volunteers, we're whoever we are in the world. We have so many things that call our names. And I think when you, you start to talk about meditate and dream journal and go for a walk outside, it feels like, well, I, I can't fit all those things in my day. And they don't all have to happen every single day necessarily. Some of them, you know, dream journaling takes on most days, less than five minutes for me, right? It's, I open my eyes, I jot it down and I go on with my day. Mm-hmm. And my meditation practice on a daily basis is 20 minutes, but I, I know from experience, 10 minutes is enough to feel something, to reset. And the walk outside is, can be a hike through the woods that's beautiful. And it can be sitting under a tree somewhere in your backyard, it still gives us that connection, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do too. And I think that's such an important message for people to, to hear because I think there is like, you must do it this way for an hour a day and it needs to look like this and you need to wear this to do that. You know, it's like, no, yeah, um, we can meditate right now where we can connect to ourselves right now, or we can connect to nature in this moment, even looking out the window, if there are trees outside or something green or flowers, right. There are all these ways that we can take a moment to pause and check in and reset, as you say. Yeah. I'm wondering, I I ask every guest this, how they're finding refuge. And in so many ways, what you've named, it seems like these are ways you're finding refuge. Are there other ways in particular at this, this time, because it's been intense for almost a different intensity in my experience for almost two years now, it was intense before, but there's something different happening. So I'm wondering if there are other ways that you, other practices, other things you do, related to self-care or finding refuge? For me, I would say the, the primary one for sure is being outside. I mean, that has always, uh, truly always been the case in my life. That's just who I've been in the world. It's been much more so in the last two years that I am more conscious about it's not just a weekend thing, but during the week I am going outside. I'm going for that hour long hike because that's for me, what puts me back together. I will say I became, and I'm I'm certain this is different for everybody, but I think there has to be a thread of truth in this, that I became incredibly aware of how unbelievably important social connection is for me. And I think I'm more of an extrovert than an introvert in general, but Having since vaccinations have been a thing, I have been able to sit outside with a small group of women that I didn't do for a year. And doing that one night, once a month has made, it's like, makes me want to cry even to talk about it It has been Mm -hmm. one of the most healing things 
is to be back in the presence of other physical presence of other loving, awake individuals. Um, And so that that's a practice for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. You say you're more of an extrovert. I think I realized that (laughs) I really am more introverted than extroverted. (laughs) People think I'm an extrovert because of what I do and how I show up like, and, and I'm like, Oh, I could stay in my house for weeks, you know, and like hang out with my dog Jasper and go out my yard and see the bees and walk around. I'd be fine. It's really interesting what, you know, we've learned about ourselves during this time. I know it's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. It really is. I would love to, um, I know you have an app shoreline and, um, I would love for you to talk some about it. I also am really curious to know if there's a particular animal energy or, or meditation that you like love and practice, or I would just love to know more about it because I'm curious. Yeah. So the app shoreline is my love letter to nature, essentially. It's a partnership um, with a small group of people, most notably is uh, Gordon Hempton, who is an acoustic ecologist and somebody who has spent his life traveling the the world, recording the sounds of nature in the most pristine, beautiful way possible. And his sounds are in the app. And then I have taken some of those sounds and written meditations specifically to them. And so the story I told about sitting on the rock and thinking of my ancestors, that's in there beside a recording of Rocks Against a River. And there's recordings of sitting inside a gigantic piece of driftwood that's a Sitka spruce, the same wood that they use to make violins and Mm -hmm. hearing the vibrations of the ocean through this wood. Like you're listening to, you know, to me, it sounds like a celestial orchestra in all honesty. It's like this magical sound. And when you hear it, you don't just hear it outside, you hear it inside. Mm -hmm. And so the experience in the app, my hope is that you have either guided experiences or you just listen to the sounds raw, but they connect you to the experiences inside, right? They connect you to those elements inside the body. And then in answer to your other question, I do have some, a very small handful. I'm adding them slowly because they they're harder to record in a way that sounds authentic, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have a handful of animal meditations in the app. I have the very first one I recorded actually was the call of the wolf. And it's, um, it's a recording of a wolf pack howling at the moon. And it's really intense. It is not a I'm going to lie back and close my eyes and have this lovely, peaceful meditation. It is I'm about to climb into the deepest, darkest corner of myself and connect to essentially that animal energy, that wildness that we all Mm -hmm. possess. And I love it. (laughs) I love Mm -hmm. it. And I did it for months every single day before I recorded it and put it out in the world to have my own experiences with it, to know that it was real and grounded in something. And, um, the one I'm actually about to release another one. I just finished recording it and it's 
the rut. It's the call of an elk was one of the other animals in that dream. And I've been working with that. Um, So I put them out slowly because those I think contain such a visceral connection to an energy in your body that I don't want to do it lightly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I remember I was staying with a friend and I woke up at like two in the morning to coyotes. Um, Mm. They must've made a kill and were like in a circle. And this is how I imagined them. I'm sure there was no fire, but I imagined like (laughs) fire and them like in a circle and they were all howling and it sounded like ceremony to me. Uh, I was like, Oh wow, this is really intense. Um, and it was a lot of sounded like a lot of coyotes. So what you described about the wolf and, and just the visceral response and reaction and, and the intensity of it makes a lot of sense with the, the wolves and the, the elk and, and what that pulls on inside. And I'm, I would love for you to talk some about why it's important to have this connection with the outer world and to do the inner work or inner practice. What is um, that about for you? What does it mean to you? You know, when we talk about the macrocosm and the microcosm, the outer world and the inner world, it's such an interesting thing to talk about because it sounds like something beautiful that you would put on a meme. You know, we're made of star stuff. That's what Carl Sagan said. Mm -hmm. But also Carl Sagan's a scientist. He's not a yogi. And there is as much science in that poetry as there is poetry and metaphor. We are actually comprised of the same elements that exist outside. That's a scientific fact. We share 50% of our DNA with trees. That's a scientific fact. And so we can talk about feeling wind in our body and feeling water in our body, but there is water in our body, Mm -hmm. 60%, just like on earth. And so, you know, I think the, the inherent value is that sometimes to say to somebody, come sit down and get to know your innermost self is a big ask. It's hard. It can be hard to sit down and be still and be quiet and not get up and run screaming from the room at the first thought you have at your first encounter with yourself. And I think it can be less scary to say, go sit outside on the earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's something that inherently happens when we do that. When we go sit outside on the earth, it's a way for us to know ourselves. And maybe for some of us, it's a gentler way to begin Mm -hmm. that process of knowing ourselves. And so it's, you know, I, um, my partner does not meditate. We've been together many, many years and that man Mm -hmm. does not meditate, but he will sit in silence and stare at a campfire for an hour Mm -hmm. without moving a muscle. And I watch that experience and I know that he meditates, right? That's, that's his way. And so I'm here to bring that forward and say, go stare at the campfire. Mm-hmm. Go enjoy 10 minutes of listening to the river flow and in, maybe instead of, or in conjunction with sitting in 10 minutes of pure silence 
And as you do one, does the other become easier? Do you need both or can you just do one? Mm-hmm. You know, these are questions that I, I want to explore. And I think that um, my hope is that it offers some level of accessibility and safety for practices that are really inviting you to come inside your own body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you described it, it makes me think about remembering like how much DNA we share with trees or how much we're made up of water or air or all of the elements. Um and our, our deep relationship with the earth that we can't escape that because it is us. And, and what it made me think of is look at what we're doing to the earth, look at Mm. what we're doing to ourselves and one another. It's like this very direct connection in my mind, based on what you, what you named. And so the power of remembering who we are through nature and coming home to the body, like my individual body, but to the collective body is what I think of how powerful these practices are and, and can be in particular with, with the earth and with nature and how much healing needs to happen. I mean, on all levels. On um, so many levels, mm-hmm. you know, I just read this really interesting study that was about essentially if you are in a stressful moment in your body and you go outside in an urban environment, or you go outside in a tree lined environment in a park, do you respond the same way? What happens in your body? And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the evidence shows that you recover unbelievably faster, like twice as fast if you are in trees, if you're in a park, Mm -hmm. if you're in nature versus like a big city. But the really interesting thing was that most of the people that participated said, I think I'll feel better walking in nature, right? We sort of know somewhere in our brain, but we don't realize how much better we'll feel. And because we don't do it often, we almost never do it. It's like you forget a little bit. And so you just are like, well, I'm done. This is not actually an important practice. When the truth is, once we do it and you notice how quickly you recover, you're like, I I couldn't possibly not do this, but it's this forgetting. That's exactly the word that was in the study is once Mm. you forget, it's really hard to come back, right? That's our work is to say, come back, step foot outside. Once again, get still once again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful because there's so much to make us forget. Like there's purposefully um, (laughs) make us forget um, and distract us from what you're talking about that um, stepping outside, connecting with nature, being still taking a moment to sit and breathe, taking a moment to connect in this expansive way we've been talking about. You know, one of the things that I have been working on, actually, you're the first person I'm telling about this, but I I will tell you because it fits the conversation so good. One of the things we spend a lot of time talking about, we being the internal team at Shoreline Mm -hmm. is our work is to connect you with nature. And also we're an app and we're saying, put headphones on and use your phone. And that's an interesting disconnect to try to navigate. And so one of the things we're doing, the next sort of update in the app is we're releasing a series of experiences that are 
not soundscape based, but they're landscape based, meaning Mm -hmm. there's a backyard, there's Mm -hmm. an ocean, a river, a desert, sort of the, the basic landscapes to start with. And within them are little 10 minute experiences that you can listen to either with headphones out in nature, or you can listen to, and then go do on your own, but they're uh, a walking meditation, uh, a forest bathing experience, a seated meditation in each of these landscapes. But they're meant to say, when you can't get out, please use the app. That's great. But when you can get out, get out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to, to talk about. So one of the partners in the app, you know, he's an app person. Right. And he says to me, you know, it's so interesting because the book we all read, all app developers read, it's called Hooked. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I get you hooked? So you keep coming back to the app. And the traditional way of measuring success is how many times is somebody coming to the app? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we've chosen to not use that metric because that's not the goal, right? The goal isn't please open our app 17,000 times a day. It's, I hope you use it, but really I hope it nudges you to step outside. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, it's been a really interesting and fun challenge in, in the business sense to yeah. start to work in that way. Mm-hmm. I can imagine because they're, I don't know if they're conflicting, but just different ways to, to approach this and what you named about the, we want people to connect to nature and yet they're doing this by listening to an app through headphones. Right. And, and what, how you described really wanting people to actually go outside and listen if they can. And if not to listen in in this other way. Um, but yeah, that's so, that's interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, you know, the science is there that says, so most of the studies around nature, fascinatingly are done with people looking at pictures of nature mm-hmm. rather than actually, cause it's harder to bring the machines outside and follow people around. So most of the studies done are with virtual experiences of nature. And even there, the results are so overwhelmingly positive, so strong that it just makes the case even more so to go outside. So listening and looking does work. If you can't get outside, do Mm -hmm. that. That's something right on days when you have back to back to back meetings and you can listen to three minutes of ocean waves in between do that. That actually is healthy. And on the days when you can pop out the doors for three minutes, do that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so making me think my mom is in a retirement community and, and it's like next to a busy highway mm-hmm. and, or busy road. Um, and she's on the fourth floor and there are trees right around the building. And she'll talk about like opening the blinds and looking out and looking at the trees and she has a disability she's on a walker. And then when she's able to go outside, she, there are frogs outside that she like kept seeing. So she would talk to the frogs and just what you're saying about when she can't walk, like she's still connecting with nature in this way. And she, she talks about it as if it really does have an effect on her, right. That it's like, I like being in the trees. It's this way to remind her that there's something else going on and I am connected and yeah, just 
I think sometimes we make things quite complicated and sometimes it's actually quite simple. Yeah. Is what it's making me think of if we're open and, and available to connect in, in these ways we've been talking about. That's, I think that's such a beautiful way to say it is it, it can sound like this magical, poetic, esoteric thing. And I'm going to go to REI and buy all the stuff and go for this big epic hike, but also you can look out your window. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to share with folks listening to this? Hmm. Well, I am in the middle of a meditation teacher training that I'm Mm -hmm. leading And we just entered the second part, which is what's making me bring it up because it's such a fun part to be in. And in this second part, we're exploring the creative element of meditation Mm. where we, so in the first part, it was really taking like, what are, what's the foundational truths of ancient practice? What makes a meditation quote unquote real? right? Mm -hmm. What makes it grounded in something that gives you the response that you're looking for in your body that gives you the deeper connection to self. And then after we have this foundation, now, how do I add my own lived experience and my own experiences within meditation practice so that when I speak, I'm saying something that is wholly new and Mm -hmm. vital to the communities in which I teach, right? When I think of the meditations that I write around nature and around soundscape, it's the most creatively fulfilling thing I've ever done. And so now in this training, I'm getting to work with these 20 other soon-to-be meditation teachers, find their voice, right? Mm -hmm. Find their creative expression of this practice too. And it's just been a really fun, interesting exploration to to work in is that intersection of, of meditation, of knowing ourselves and creativity and the way the two play off each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does sound really interesting and important the, to exploring the way the two play off of each other. And yeah. Way. And I'll put your website and stuff in the show notes so people can connect because I want people to connect to shoreline and you also have trainings and other ways that people can connect. Yeah. Thank you. you. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today in this way and talking about ancestors and nature and, and all the things. This has been such a fun conversation, Michelle. Thanks for chatting with me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So as you all may know, I have a new book out. Finding Refuge, Heart, Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, 
skill in action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Thank you.